Over the past few months and years, there has been an undeniable surge in sightings and encounters with UAP, commonly referred to as UFOs. These perplexing occurrences have left scientists, governments, and civilians around the world captivated, prompting us to question the very fabric of our understanding of the universe. From strange lights dancing in the sky to mind-bending aerial maneuvers defying the laws of physics, these UAP sightings continue to ignite our collective imagination. Today, we explore an intriguing proposal gaining traction among scientists, researchers, and visionaries. A notion that suggests that we should establish an embassy for extraterrestrials right here on Earth. Imagine an interstellar diplomatic hub where representatives from other civilizations could interact with humanity, fostering understanding, collaboration, and the exchange of knowledge. Sylvain Rochon is part of such an organization. Welcome to the scale of it all. Welcome everybody to the show. I'm really looking forward to this episode that we're having today. Now it's been a while since we've posted something online, but I always try to make it so it's um it's like that. <laughs> um, it's 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 really tough to find great guests to come on the show because um, there's a lot of people out there who are willing to talk about their work, but they're either too busy, or just life gets in get, gets in the way. So today we are having as our guest Silva. Did I say that properly this time? That's correct. Welcome to the show, sir. You honor us. Well, thank you very much for the invite. I'm always keen to talk about our work. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. So, how do we even start this? So, I I was um I was looking for uh, a guest because um recently I'll just I'll just come out saying recently there has been an increased um public interest in what's it called nowadays? Is it unknown aerial phenomenon now? UAPs. Yeah, that's the middle the military uh, term. Uh, People tend to gravitate to around the historically uh, used term of UFO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. UAP may be more accurate, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a rebrand as well because once you start and throw out those three letters UFO, you suddenly you, you know people just put you in this box of of you know being a fringe type of personality, and you're just not taken seriously. But now, now recently, there has been some. Um, um, a peaked interest, and not just that. I'd I'd like to say also a peaked activity in unknown aerial phenomena, or let's yeah. just say aliens. Really, I, it depends who you're talking to, mm. right? Um, because in the political spheres, they're very careful in how they talk about the topic. That's why they use the UAP. Just like the military, uh, they use that acronym because it is, a, it is a technical term used by serious researchers, mm. right? Uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, that means a lot of different things, right? It could be lights in the sky, it could be like a, just something that's in the sky that is unidentified, uh, waiting to be identified. You know, so, so it's very innocent. UFO, like you said, uh, that acronym has been uh, trounced around for a long, long time in science fiction, forever. And it has this aura of uh, ridiculous to it, which Mm. is uh, unfortunate because it just means unidentified flying object. It's just as innocuous as the UAP acronym, really. The flying object can be anything. It could be a bird. 
until you until you identify it as a bird, it's a UFO. It's yeah. a flying object. Mm. Technically, yeah. So, think about it, yeah. Mm. So uh, those are the technical terms, but you're right. There is a lot more interest in the public sphere about, about these UAPs. Um, what's really different these days, the last couple of years, compared to before when I was uh, still researching the, the topic myself, um, these officials are using the proper terminology, but the, the stated intent is that they want to know what is unidentified. They want to make sure that the public knows about it. So the, the whole disclosure movement pushed by some Congress uh, people and some politicians all over the world, not every country, but we've seen it in Europe, in France in particular, in Canada, in the US and other nations. They're saying, they're using language as, well, there are UAPs, many of them remain unidentified, uh, and we need to know to identify those things for national security reasons. Typically, that is the language. And that's fair. You want to know what's flying over your land. Mm. Okay, that's great. Um, in our case, like we are speaking with politicians behind the scenes, like one-on-one. As Daniel uh, Turcotte, who is the president of the Alliance, uh, he has those conversations. And in private or in one-on-one, they reveal that, yeah, that's the language they use. But really, a lot of them are interested in like, are any of these extraterrestrial in origin? Mm. And then there's uh, some researchers uh, like Dr. Gary Nolan, who's been in public kind of talking about um, the concept that, yeah, some of these uh, vehicles or some of these objects that are seen must be extraterrestrial of origin. Uh, And he has his whole uh, very scientific rationale around it. And then there's also... um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Loeb, who started, I think, two years ago, and is, uh, is one of the most eminent people at Harvard uh, in natural physics. And um, two years ago, uh, he started Project Galileo, which, is, which was funded by billionaires uh, <laughs> to look at the sky and try to identify those objects uh, as a scientific endeavor, as a serious scientific endeavor. Um, so uh, this interest in the scientific, the official, like, you know, of community, like science, science, diplomats, politicians, kind of draws a lot more attention to the topic of, well, are we actually being visited mm. or are these objects explainable and otherwise? Mm. Uh, it, it's getting very, very interesting. Yeah. A lot of academics coming out of the woodwork, contacting the Alliance, telling me, uh, the story is repetitive. Like two, three years ago, they say I was skeptic. I wasn't even concerning myself with the topic. And now I think it's important that we look into it. Right? Mm. And some of them uh, are pretty serious about it. <laughs> so yeah. it's getting interesting. Yeah, I remember that weekend when I had Dr. Avi Loeb on the podcast. It was the same weekend when he told me, like, just two days ago, there were two guys who showed up on my um on my doorstep and they gave me two million dollars out of the out of thin air they just said like hey here 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 here's some money um what you're um what you're trying to do is definitely going to be not on the cheap side and um they just gave him two million dollars just on that day to to fund what he's trying to do i'm not sure how far along he is with project galileo at the time that i had him on the show that was about i want to i want to say like a year and a half ago um 
I think he is starting to lay down the groundwork on the ground-based telescopes that he's he's um it's i'm sorry i think it's not the ground-based telescopes now so it's a two-part thing i think he's trying to build so there's going to be a ground-based project that observes the cosmos from the earth and then he's planning to launch um these instruments out into space you know like really quality quality systems like like good really good camera systems that would take a definitive picture snapshot of objects that are out there um that seems to be you know observing earth mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah that was a that was a good podcast that we had i also um i also he also mentioned like uh the government like the cia really does not should not have any part in science because you like you mentioned like he's going at this at a scientific because that's his training like as a scientist and the, the the government shouldn't really meddle in terms of you know uh, a scientific a scientific endeavor such as what he's trying to do with project galileo well i i think that's probably a typical reaction for many scientists mm. they don't want another entity to uh intervene or interfere in in real research uh i i'm a scientist myself uh bachelor's in biochemistry chemical engineering uh and education in fact in my case so i've taught uh, academics and I, I am an academic and i i get it like he for the longest time it's searching for et <laughs> has been such a taboo that uh research is not being funded proper research hasn't been being funded until recently. And Avi Loeb with his uh, uh, dissertation surrounding the Oumuamua, uh, I want to say asteroid, but that's probably not the right term because mm, <laughs> mm. it's not a comedy object. Let's just call yeah. it an object. Yeah. <laughs> it did um, behave like an asteroid. That's what he said. Um, yeah, he, he went at like length. It did not have the path of a comet. It did, yeah. And it, it, it had the tail, but... Yeah, it just didn't behave uh, like any of those things. So, yeah. you know, by, by Occam's razor, it's like whatever remains. Well, the, um, the biggest complaint in uh, ufology, which is a science, is that the footage they receive or the pictures they receive is of poor quality. And the data is just crappy, right? And uh, Dr. Loeb and Nolan and others that are have, are coming out and with funding to build systems that are specifically tuned to look at aerial uh, UAPs, right, and identifying uh, what kind of material they're made of, mm-hmm. having good video pictures of them, and uh, so that you can have clarity about what that is to identify them, because that is the purpose, it's a scientific endeavor. Just like uh, you've uh, you probably followed a little bit the James West uh, telescope, yeah, right? uh, James West, James Webb, James yeah. Webb, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My gosh, uh, last year, super excited. Well, it has specific sets of cameras that look mostly in infrared, mm. uh, and is designed very specifically to do certain things, and it can do a lot of different things. But it's not a, it's not like the Hubble type of telescope. It has another set of skills. That and look, looks out into the galaxy to to measure different things. It's the same thing for UAPs. Uh, most most UAPs that are captured on video or on smartphones, old cameras, they're usually far away or moving very fast. They're not not great quality. So what he's building, 
Dr. Lowe, is specifically designed to identify them. And there are ways where you can identify materials and provenance of materials, mm. uh, whether they're earthly or not, using spect spectrographs. Uh, general, all, all you need is really as good is a, a camera that's tuned to actually uh, perceive certain wavelengths. Mm. And then you can derive a spectrum from that with uh, using the light that's reflected off the object. Uh, you have the, the spectra of the light, you have the spectra of the reflection of the object. You can determine the, uh, the, the, the composition of the object. And if you have the composition of the object with uh, good enough resolution, you can determine where does the, uh, those atoms, where they were taken from, uh, where they're built in certain places. Mm. So you can identify perhaps like if, if the material was, uh, was created in the U.S., or if it's, there's nowhere on earth where it was created. Mm. So there's, these are exciting things regarding in, in ufology. If you have the actual good data to be able to make determinations like that. Mm. Uh, but the Alliance is not focused on ufology or anything, anything like that, on, on proving whether or not the uh, ETs exists or if they're flying around in, the, in space, we, usually enjoy that, those conversations and we do encourage disclosure we encourage also uh social transformation but the uh the objective of the alliance of my organization the alliance for extraterrestrial diplomatic contact is to actually work towards an official diplomatic contact with an et civilization boom that's the mandate yeah yeah so th thanks for queuing that in so let's talk a little bit about the alliance so the uh the organization that you are part of as well as danielle who i've spoken with earlier is called the alliance as well as the uh, there's another one um the embassy well that's the uh it's another website but the the organization is called the alliance for extraterrestrial diplomatic contact okay and right. the alliance, which is for short, just call it Alliance or AEDC, okay, um, is a not-for-profit Canadian registered organization, right? Uh, and it's volunteer-based. So all myself, Danielle, and the others are all volunteers. We have about forty volunteers working within the alliance on all continents, um, and uh, the, the purpose is to get that first uh diplomatic mission ready embassy but, but that's not targeting a specific country but targeting generally an et civilization that's not a of this earth and, and that requires a little bit of a uh, a little bit of work actually to get that done but work that is framed inside the vienna convention of 1961. what's the vienna convention of 1961 that is the document, the legal document that defines um, all the, the laws that are accepted by all the nations of the UN, or even beyond that, all the signatories, uh, that defines diplomatic missions, diplomatic immunity, embassies, their rights and function, uh, how that works. And that's, it's an important document for all the nations, because you, when you work internationally, you need to a certain set of rules that everybody agrees on hmm. because every nation has its own legal uh, structure and you can't have uh, these contacts so so when it was created back then it defined things like embassies 
So I can give you an example of how embassies are being created. I uh, Let's say you're uh, country B, I'm country A, right? And I want to establish an embassy in country B, in your country. Okay, so I'll make a request, like I want to establish an embassy. And, uh, and then via convention have rules into how this, uh, this happens. You can say, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Then we'll be able to have diplomatic missions on my territory, on country B territory. And the Vienna Convention defines uh, an embassy as a uh, as a building that is owned by country A, by my country, on soil that belongs to me, but within your country. So the land has to be given by you to country A. That's called extraterritorial land. So you say, okay, this parcel of land now belongs to country A, to another country, and you build your embassy on uh, that that belongs to you on that that land that's within my my uh, physical boundaries, my borders, and then any business that occurs within that extraterritorial land is diplomatic, mission centric. If you have people that work there, they are part of diplomatic missions or they're diplomats, and the Vienna Convention also defines what are the rights of those diplomats, including diplomatic immunity. You've heard that in movies a lot. Mm -hmm. I have diplomatic immunity. Well, it means that if you're a diplomat and you're working in the Indian embassy inside country B's territory, uh, you are protected from the laws of country B. Okay? So the Vienna Convention defines all those rules of how it all works. And the reason why we want to have an embassy that is that follows those same rules is because um, the Vienna Convention rules state that any diplomat has that, that those protections, no matter where the nation is. And that can apply to an ET civilization. They can also be diplomats. Uh, according to the laws of man, like the normal laws of nations, ETs are not protected by any law. Because our laws are defined for human beings that live, that have a residence, that have an address, right, inside on Earth. Mm-hmm. And ET comes down, they actually actually have no legal right whatsoever on Earth. Mm-hmm. But if they are diplomats and they land at a uh, diplomatic mission that's built for them, then the laws, uh, the governing law is the Vienna Convention. I see. And that's a law that everybody understands and agrees upon. So that's the importance of it. Um, the second important piece of importance for the embassy is really for us to agree as uh, as a grouping of, of countries that this is the place where an elite civilization will come to, to, to meet other diplomats of Earth. And that's really important. There was an article actually that uh, was published last year by um, diplomatic experts just at theorizing about what would be the risks involved in an ET civilization making first contact officially. And the risk was, when they they did the dissertation, the risk was not from the ETs themselves. The risk was between us, the the different nations. You know, if an ET civilization lands in the US and says, oh, we're, we're going to meet your leader, pardon the pun or the, the imagery from sci-fi, 
Uh, a bunch of other countries like China, Iran, you know, Israel, Canada, whoever, they may object. It's like, no, no, we want to meet with them too. Wait a second, like why why you get to meet to meet them and we don't? Arguments can escalate into very serious risks. Mm-hmm. So so building an official embassy that all the nations agree this is the embassy, this is the place is important to avoid some of those issues. It's like signing a document saying, this is the official embassy. We all agree. They may laugh at it. It's like, yeah, it will never happen. When it happens, hey, they all sign the document. (laughs) That's the country where it's going to be, the embassy is. That's where the meeting is going to take place. You all signed the document. Mm. So you avoid conflict that way. So that's really important. Well, these researchers obviously watch different movies from what I've watched (laughs) regarding how this how first contact might happen. Um, yeah. Um, gosh, what was I going uh, to say? So I th- would it be safe then to say that AEDC, that you your, your organization, has already looked way past this U- UAP business, UFO business, and you're, you're all assuming now that these things are real and that there is a real possibility that we they might establish contact and but judging from from your presence online like your websites 2023 seems to be like a big year for for your organization yeah there's um building an mbc has several steps to it especially since this is for not for a country on earth right it's it's got technicalities to it um you have to have an, a host nation that is willing to give extraterritorial mm. land, specifically not to a nation of Earth, but to an ED civilization and nation. Um, that could be tricky. I can I can imagine how that can be tricky. Well, there are uh, nearly half a dozen countries that are speaking with us that have interest in. Okay, that. okay. Because that is a concept, and again, by the Vienna Convention, any country can decide on their own to give the land because it's their land. Okay. They can give the land for any kind of purpose, including for diplomatic missions, extraterritoriality, and all that stuff. So they can decide on their own without agree, agreement from anyone to just give the land for that particular purpose because it's their land. They're allowed to do that. And uh, depending on the language, they, they, the, um, the rules would follow the Vienna Convention, which is the principle. Right? Because it's meant for a diplomatic mission and so on, and, and the, the construction of an embassy. So therefore... Again, a convention applies and so on, like I, I described earlier. So they can, that's the first step. And um, we've been talking to nations since 2019 about this. It's not a recent thing. There's a certain point in time because they they dictate the timetable, the, the nations. There's going to be one at some point, we feel, out of the bunch that is going to raise our figure. Okay, we're ready to go public and announce that we, we're going to give land. Okay, so you're not you're not just ready to to disclose which nations are uh, showing interest in no. uh, giving up. <laughs> in fact, I don't even know. Daniel does. He's uh, I I'm, I have certain tasks. Yeah, he has these discussions. Okay, that's that's his okay. his job. He's not yep. here to speak, and he wouldn't be able. To, he he wouldn't want to tell. Uh, we have disclosure agreements. Okay, non disclosure agreements, and uh, they're all. You know, they define the timetables. They'll make the public announcements, and we're not supposed to say anything. Right. Sorry. Can we just backtrack a bit? Um, What actually prompted uh, Danielle or yourself or whoever is in the inner circle of the AEDC? What prompted you guys to come up with this project? 
Okay. Well, the project itself has been around since 1974. Oh. The, like the ETMBC idea and fundraising, uh, it's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. and it was carried since then by an organization called the uh, International Raelian Movement, which is a more philosophical movement centered around the idea that we were uh, humanity and life was created by innate civilization. And then one day we'll have an official meeting. And one of the tasks uh, of this organization is to create that, that ET embassy. Mm. So that's the foundations from way back. And they've been gathering funds for this from volunteers for us since all, all the way in the, in the 70s. So <clears throat> now they've gathered about $50 million US specifically for the construction of the embassy. And they're still, still doing that. That's part of their mandate as an, as an organization. Uh, Danielle and I are members of that organization. So that's how we were aware of, of this. But then in 2000, the end of 2020, I contacted Danielle. I said, look, like we're, we're doing this project with the IRM. Right? We've been members for a long time. We're we know the project in and out. The IRM is the International Raelian Movement. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so I told us like, you know, that's great, but this is not a project that only belongs to one organization. It belongs to the whole of humanity because mm. everybody's impacted by this potential, right? So, uh, so we talked about it. And we decided, well, we have to set up a separate organization that is a network uh, that uh, invites everybody on the planet to participate. Uh, no matter uh, religion, creed, like who cares? <laughs> you're, you're, you're human or not, like we don't even care about that. The only criteria is like you want to, uh, to welcome any civilization on earth uh, at an embassy so that we don't have a war among ourselves and problems. And, and that's the project for the uh, for the alliance. And we started that that way. And then we, we contacted the IRM and a few other other organizations that are uh, that we knew would be uh, interested in in participating and supporting this. And they uh, these organizations became the first supporters of the alliance. We got in the, we started off with uh, a handful of volunteers from those initial uh, organizations. Uh, and now we are 25 organization that represent nearly 2 million individuals. Whoa. Okay. I didn't, wow. That's a lot of people who's yeah, actually yeah. On, yeah, uh, on board. Okay. And 40 volunteers. So the volunteers are, keep streaming in discovering, Hey, like I want to help out and, mm. uh, from anywhere in the world right now. We're, and this is all, um, these supporters organization is mostly English world. And now we started, uh, you know, looking into the Hispanic communities because they have, uh, especially in Latin America, there's a strong history of uh, UAPs in the sky uh, and a belief that, you know, from ancestries in the South America, like mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of uh, native South Americans in their culture that believe they were created by people that came down from the sky and left and eventually will come back. It's already part of their culture. So we got a huge number of supporters that come from South America. We haven't really done anything there. And now we're going to Asia, Europe, and a bunch of other nations. And the number of supporters will grow exponentially in the next few years. 
Uh, and this, the reason why we're approaching it this way, I mean, like organizations and supporters and numbers, is because that's what politicians and diplomats respond to. I see. I was about to ask you, like, you wouldn't, why, why are you needing all these people to set up something like a, you know, like an embassy? I can see how gargantuan the task is, but yeah, you know, like you don't really need like an army of two, pe two, million, two million people to, um, you know, to, to get things going. It, you might just need a, a few, but you've explained it that way. Yeah. So just, just okay. traction basically. And yeah. Yeah. Traction. So showing interest, right? Yeah, I, showing there's interest, really yeah. two components, right? There's the, the political component and there's the money component, right? Because uh, to, to, for a project to be taken seriously, you actually need both funds and support, mm. right? And because this is political, like diplomatic political, uh, you know, numbers of people that are, that support something is important for the politicians because they want to to be backed if they decide to do something. Because they're the ones that are, that can give it extraterritorial land. They're mm -hmm. the ones that are, that are discussing at the UN about anything that's about modifications to the Vienna Convention, for example, and things like that. So we wanted to impress them with numbers so we can have a conversation with them and say, hey you should bring this on because a lot of people actually want this you know, right? because it's still a bit taboo. Right. And the money part is just very practical. Um, when we talk to organizations saying that we, we're not asking for money, we have the money. And technically from a development point of view, we have enough money to build the embassy and to get more money <laughs> from developers. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't so it be, that be built? And so the nation mm -hmm. only has to provide the land because that's the law. They don't need to invest in the project unless they want to. Because mm -hmm. we already have the money from the IRM through the alliance, because all the supporters are providing assets, and we're all the organizations kind of like pull and uh, and will participate in the in the construction and the preparation. Okay, now I'm kind of getting this mixed sort of signal here that you are trying to build something that is definitely going to impact the public in a very major way but you're going at this at like a private sector type thing wouldn't it be in the interest of that nation to build this embassy since it's going to be on their land and wouldn't that funding just follow since it's like a government funded sort of thing it's a it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation when you're talking about developing something like this um you're right like if if a, a country is really interested and believes, does does the PR stunt and it, it's not a big amount of money to build a, one building, yeah. right? And to to prepare that. But what we found is that first we have to get their interest and to show that they're serious behind it and that they they don't need to break a leg to make it happen. So we we say, hey, like here's we we got the money. We got the uh, we got the blueprints. We got the plans. We like we got all that stuff. All you need to do is lift a little finger and give uh, give the extraterritoriality and communicate at the UN. Mm. That's all you need to do, and that gives them to the discussion table, into the conversation, right? So okay, this is serious. They already have funds. They have uh, X number of supporters. Uh, they have a, a well-established plan designed by architects, city planners, like actual professionals, right? And then this, this package that we sent to all nations in 2019 to start this process, 
that presents it as a uh, as a touristic development project. That's how you packaged that, it. That's how it was packaged because you go you go to a nation's like, hey, let's build an ET embassy. Sounds ridiculous to a lot of people because these are politicians. They don't want to be associated with something that sounds crazy. Yeah. But if you say, well, no, that we're going to help fund. It's going to be an embassy, an official embassy, but it, we're it, it's going to be a touristic uh, endeavor. And there's a lot of areas in the, on the planet where they talk about ETs and that are touristic. You know, Stonehenge, Area 51 in Arizona. Uh, you know, the pyramids of Giza, like there's a lot of theories that these could have been built by ETs. Like a lot of people go to these places thinking they're going to see something ET related. Mm. And it, it, it generates a lot of money locally. So we tell the story, right? And then we're going to, we're actually going to invest in it. So the country is looking at it, it's like, okay, I can publicly support this because it's going to make uh, economic returns in the locality. Mm. Whether an ET arrives or not, people are going to come because the world's first official embassy for ETs, it's an attraction. So it makes sense for them to say, yeah, that, that makes sense. I can tell this to, to the people. It, it's going to be a, a, a touristic attraction, whether ET comes or not. Makes them look good and not so crazy. Sounds It sounds very practical, like a very practical, practical approach. Yeah, yeah. So, bring them to the table. Yeah. Like, But like I said... Many a politician, when, when we get them one-on-one -on -one, under the veil of non-disclosure and, and privacy, many of them tell them tell us what they really think. And many of them are sometimes are seeing things that are confidential at the national level, mm. <laughs> like part of the disclosure discussion. And some mm -hmm. of them are just personally like they think this is this is an amazing uh advancement for humanity mm. like we should do this but they can't tell that in public because they'd be murdered at the, yeah. at the polls they'll right? be yeah they'll be yeah they'll be a set aside as one of the fringe uh move anyways um okay so i'm gonna ask you a few questions because i've got like a million questions right now that's just running through my head it's such an interesting thing um at any point you can just tell me like i, I don't really know or um mm -hmm. you know i'm not really allowed to tell you that yet so, so just from the number that you mentioned, there are there's about a dozen countries out there who who you are um, your organizations in contact with at the moment who are seriously considering having an ET embassy in their land. Would it be yeah, safe to number, number of them? Yes. Go okay. On. Would it be safe to assume that it's only that number of countries amongst the number of nations in the entire world that has a protocol set? for if there is a visit from the outside does does any country does every country have because i'm right now I'm, I'm assuming like no country has one probably the us maybe russia china you know just the g20 um states there are, as far as i know this is not something that i've researched personally but from uh connections uh of the topic i know there's some nations that have some kind of preparedness plan in case of an ET. So the U.S. I know, I know is one of them. There must be other countries that are mm. have thought up. For, usually, from a national security perspective, what if somebody, some civilization comes? Uh, how do we deal with it from a national security per perspective or, or whatnot? So there are plans out there. Mm -hmm. um, are you privy uh, to any? Can you share any any sort of like? I'm just interested to know what what a country might, you know, might do 
in the eventuality that an ET would, you know, come to Earth. Unfortunately, I don't know the details of the most of it because I, I I don't really spend a lot of time mm -hmm. in those. Those typically were uh, created a while back. Uh, you know, kind of the um, after the Cold War True. or during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. Uh, the nation's kind of like, well, okay, well, what happens if you have something that we can't identify? Because we, it, it could be aliens, but it could also be like uh, Russia or China or blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm thinking it might be even be before the Cold War, just, you know, when since, since, the, since the atom bomb was developed, I think they would have definitely started like a, some sort yeah. of protocol. Because there it's was a blanket a... protocol for national security mm. reasons. Like if we see something we can't identify. Now, whether or not there are nations that definitely think, okay, what are we doing if actual ET come? Mm -hmm. Like a conversation that I I don't know. And from my diplomatic contacts that used to be diplomats, they're telling me that th those specific plans that would be modern thinking, they don't exist. Doesn't mean that they absolutely don't exist on any uh, uh, in any form in any nations about like talking about like okay what are we going to ask them you know specifically ETs like intelligent ETs that come mm. uh, they're telling me that those don't exist. However, uh, there are organizations that are working towards that, like ICER, mm. I C E R. Okay, is an organization that uh, whose purpose it's an international uh, serious research organization whose sole purpose is to uh, to pave the way towards a meeting with ETs. Okay? And you have some illustrious uh, individuals that are members of ICER, some doctors, and a lot of ufologists. Yeah. Uh, they are serious researchers. Um, and there's a, a very recent development with what's called a Project Titan. Yeah. Uh, you may have heard of that. Uh, that's uh, this is San Marino, a small nation within the boundaries of Italy. They uh, they should, I think, because um, it, it passed their their parliament. <laughs> they will make a proposal at the UN to establish a commission around the ET question to openly discuss this at the UN. What happens? What do we do if there's ET? What are these UFOs and like the surrounding all these questions? So there are movements out there. There is such an organization called the Exopolitics Institute, and there are some exo diplomat dip diplomatic programs and universities and others that uh, are designed to think about this particular issue. Uh, so very few of them, aside from Project Titan, very few of them are, uh, or if any, are associated with politicians and diplomats. Mm. Right? The Alliance is one of the these organizations that are uh, directly engaged with uh, politicians and diplomats because of the the need for extraterritoriality, right? Uh, and there are really few in between uh, organizations that really think seriously about you know, uh, the contact with ETs, what do we do, how do we prepare, having those questions. Mm, okay. Uh, but it is more topical year over year. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, um, now let's, let's just move things along and, you know, um, talk a little bit more about AEDC and like what is your timeline um, just for the people who, who are listening who haven't seen the website I've seen it briefly so I have a I have a slight idea so what's your timeline of establishing some sort of 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 extraterrestrial embassy 
mm. on a consenting nation on earth okay it's pretty simple there's a, a bit more detail on the website there's like a roadmap there people can go and take a look at it but a uh, high level we hope and think this year 2023 uh one of those nations will announce make an announcement about the extraterritoriality excuse me giving uh giving the space uh that we have to start there because without that an, a real embassy can't be built yeah uh, for ET. so, so, so you, sorry so you think you you guys are going to get close in 20 this 2023 which is like six months we got six months left you think one of right. these nations are going to to allow well, that's the the idea the the, the latest discussions with them uh, I haven't been shared the exact details mm -hmm. but from what Danielle tells me it, it's it, it seems like uh because they're organizing meetings right and there seems to be acceleration and movement uh, so it may be this year but it's their timetable so we're not sure but it mm. certainly feels like this year is probably going to be it okay uh we can't be sure but let's assume it's this year for the for 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 the time being um cash wise and plan wise we're already ready to for the construction we we just need to have the land agreement with the with the nation uh, the next step would be uh to treat it like a building project basically it's like okay we can build we can start the build we already are discussing with uh, some developers because um, what they'll want to do they'll want to make money off this project they're developers it's businesses right mm. so they'll start building condos and pre-sell them in anticipation of the construction of the world first embassy for ets thinking about tourism and things like that so they're going to put in their own investment and pull money and and people in uh, and uh, there's a land surveying, all this technical stuff for, uh, to, to build this actual thing is going to get started. And there's multiple stages because it's a pretty big project. Uh, the uh, Ultimately, the uh, the embassy proper would be open around 2030. Okay. After all these steps have, have occurred. That's right. the time. Again, a million questions just suddenly popped in my head. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like the the infrastructure surrounding the ET embassy would be more centered towards the local inhabitants, i.e. human beings. And we're expecting people from outside Earth to visit and use said facilities. What kind of developers are you guys talking to to prepare well, you know, the facilities for, let's say, I'm just thinking like along the lines of like isolation, um well what's it gonna what's it gonna look like i'm just looking at the backdrop uh, that's that, yeah, that's this, behind this you the there actual, uh, 3d model of the yep. uh, the last blueprint which was released last year okay there's some sort of landing pad that's on top of there it's it's a donut shaped yeah. uh, structure with a dome with a long eye leading out into the entrance and um i'm interested to know like who what kind of people are you in touch with what kind of things are you anticipating for some sort of life form that would, you know, uh, well, just judging from the timeline that would make it, you know, or just might visit within the next decade here on earth. Like what kind of facilities are, are, are you looking at here? Well, that's a very interesting question because we can't be sure. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was thinking. So like, right. yeah. So, so this, the structure, uh, is designed for the shapes and sizes of ufos that are that we've seen so making the assumption that uh there may be some inhabitants inside those and therefore in the smallest size like 
kind of inferring the size of the people should be about human size, um, mm. approximately, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is also due to a lot of testimonials of uh, people encountering having these these. Uh, okay, so you're basing it off, yeah, you're basing it off these some people. assumptions here, yeah. right? But uh, in a way, I'm gonna make a parenthesis here. It, it really doesn't matter so much. Mm. Um, because this is obviously a civilization or civilizations that are way more advanced than we are. They would probably just choose to stay on their ships. They, they, they may or, or send uh, robots, biological or otherwise, mm. that can survive the atmosphere, have a new, and they, they bring their own atmosphere, suits, whatever, right? Like, yeah. They're not dummies. They, they'd at least be as smart as we uh, as we would. Like if, we're, if we are in orbit around a more primitive, primitive civilization and we see a structure being built, we could probably scan the structure, see, oh, okay, and figure th things out and then mm. and safely, right? Uh, <laughs> so, but but we did build in things that would make it livable for both an ET civilization and humans because they're meant to meet. So there's an interest for people, right, into an uh, like a let's say mm -hmm. an amphitheater, right, and then there's a meeting room. So there's two uh, spheres. The meeting room is uh, is for human atmosphere, and it's it's set with a table and kind of an amphitheater kind of kind of thing. The uh, the entry module is uh, well, just like a an entry <laughs> just to get it to get it started, um, and then there is a uh, an airlock beyond the meeting room that separates like the donut to the media uh, oh meeting. yeah that that middle part there separate oh, that, that atmosphere because we do they may have another other preference we want them to be comfortable they may have uh, other atmospheric requirements we have no idea what that is but it's sealed mm -hmm. the donut is a living quarters and so you land on top you can go down and it's, it's all sealed from the outside environment mm -hmm. uh, so you can import your own atmosphere in there Whatever that may be, and uh, and then at the, at the back there's a more of a, like a service entry, uh, service entry, uh, so you don't bother the entrance, and uh, if you need to do maintenance or stuff like that uh, from the back end. Mm. But essentially, yeah, like it's the the donut is the living quarters with uh, with airlocks on both ends um, to contain a different atmosphere. Mm. That's it. I'm sorry if I'm smiling, but I'm I'm. This is just really it's it's really interest it's interesting stuff, really. <laughs> You know, um, are, have you guys um, have you guys started like lay, laying down the groundwork as to like ways how we might communicate with these beings and just to let them know that you know, hey, there's a we actually prepared a place for you because we had expected that this day might happen in the future and it, it has happened. Okay. Who's worrying Here's about those those things? Here's again, it's all based off reasonable assumptions. Okay, because um, I, I know you're probably referring to the movie Arrival, which I actually really, really liked. I, I think know. that is, uh, I, I was supposed to save those questions towards the, the end, but yeah, um, <laughs> one of the, uh, um, those are one, I think that's one of the, the my favorite, like, first contact movies that's out there. It's really good. Yeah. Even though as a scientist, I reject most of its premise. It is a wonderful movie nonetheless. Okay. A, a very advanced civilization, especially in the, the septopods, like in the arrival, they are super advanced. They, they time travel, all that stuff. How, how, 
why are they forcing us to learn their their language? Like, like we're on the verge, like right now, human beings, we are able to insert memory and knowledge into people's brains. We're doing that now. Yeah. Okay. An ET civilization would be able to learn just about any language in a second. Ah, okay. They come, they, they, they come like, and speak English, Chinese, whatever language you want. We're, we're, we're able to do that ourselves nearly as yeah. is, right? Like and we have Google Translate yeah. and all these yeah. things that can analyze things. So, the, you know, if a civilization is able to cross uh, dimensions or um, cross the distance between the stars without using a generation ship within reasonable amount of time, they're so advanced that they can, language is not a problem. Like, mm -hmm. uh, they'll adapt to us way easier. Think a lot more like, and this is a probably a fair analogy, in fact, Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. I draw upon that because it's actually pretty reasonable, uh, what the, the, the whole story, where uh, we're the primitives, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And the enterprise is the aliens, right? They come in, they have a universal translator. They automatically can speak to it just about any language because it's mm -hmm. automatically kind of a, a does it does it for you through uh, through uh, technology, and they they observe and they they don't interfere with the evolution of the civilization until they're ready, uh, and when they uh, and what they mean by ready is if they present themselves they won't blow each other each other up because mm. they can't destroy the enterprise that's that's ridiculous right there's way they're way more advanced so they're watching so one of the assumptions that comes also from a lot of ufology and a lot of contact is that et has been here observing for thousands of years they know us really really well mm. and a lot of the organizations that are, that are supporting the alliance and some scholars would uh could say that it's possible that ets were involved in our own evolution and even created us scientifically right yeah they've been around for yeah. a long time they know us really really well mm. so language understanding not a problem They've been watching us for so it's not like a we're sending a, a, a message, a radio message out. They've been listening. Oh, let's have a visit. No, they've known we're here for a long time. We're mm -hmm. using James Webb telescope now to look at exoplanets in our primitive state. So 100 years from now, we're probably going to be able to identify these planets from like tens of thousands of light years away, which a lot more accuracy. So why? Why would an a more advanced civilization, let's say a thousand years more advanced than we are, located somewhere else? Why would they not know that we're here? Mm. You know, it's um, of course there's a time lapse, and because when you go into galactic scales, it's, it becomes uh, observations are uh, essentially looking to the past. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's I know what you mean. More complicated the discussion than that, but yeah. uh, they would know that we're here. Yeah, I haven't uh, actually. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I haven't actually thought about that, but yeah, it is. That seems to be a more plausible way of looking at things, as opposed to like this hard first contact of like, you know, just like when two, just like an un uncontacted tribe of mm -hmm. humans just come face to face with each other for the first time. Yeah, that might be a more plausible way of looking at things. Like they've actually observed us but for some reason they're just not they're choosing not to break contact for some reason 
Yeah, mm. I, I like the idea because there's always the uh, the Fermi paradox. Yeah, right. Like, why haven't they been here yet? Why why aren't they here yet? Why <laughs> where are they? Right? Yeah, they might <laughs> the they may be here teeming with aliens that are more right. advanced than us. Like, why why can't we see them? Mm. And one of the answers is the uh, the, the zoo and the. Uh, the zoo uh, solution, which essentially says, well, it's like a preserve. Mm. They intentionally <laughs> don't visit openly yeah. or, or or directly until we're ready to actually, to actually mm. do that. And they've been connecting with us uh, around the periphery mm. and superficially, mm. maybe influencing us in, in certain ways over the years, but not directly until they're yeah. ready. Yeah, maybe, maybe they have been already. And, you know, all this... Just, just this whole thing, this whole scale, yeah. is is in 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 large part due well, to them. You know, I mean, well, here's I, an uh, an yeah. idea I've been muddling in my my brain for the last like a long while, but more recently, even more so. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a Drake equation, right, which yeah. calculates the probabilities of an advanced civilization mm. uh, in the Milky Way. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very basic equation and just calculates probabilities. According to that equation. Uh, as we refine it, <laughs> discovering things by with James Webb and uh, and whatnot, uh, there's a there's a high probability that the the, ga- the galaxy is teeming with uh, intelligent life and life in general. But the galaxy is hundred thousand light years in diameter. It's a big place, right? So the, the Drake equation was implies that higher level civilizations. Uh, all evolve and don't do really anything with the technology. So it's a, it's like a multitudes of evolutions of individual evolutions uh, in the in the Milky Way. That's the assumption. And then I posit it's like okay, that's great. Let's imagine there are I don't know thirteen more advanced civilization in Milky Way, right? Than us. If we human beings are now able to create life bacterial right now and fungi and things like that we're in the laboratory in a hundred years from now we may be able to make plants novel little animals using genetic engineering that's probably reasonable to assume very short amount of time we'll be able to do that here on earth and and why not on mars another you know as we uh, try to start to traipsing around the galaxy or Mm. at least the solar system (laughs) if we're going to be able to do that in let's say a hundred years those more those 13 more advanced civilizations may have seeded you know they may be a, a thousand a million years more advanced than we are because the galaxy is really really old <laughs> right uh they may have seeded dozens thousands hundred thousands they may have seeded a civilization and that civilization would have had time to evolve into a, an advanced civilization and created themselves mm. while we were still in stone age So the galaxy is likely, like if just one civilization is way more advanced than us through their ability to manipulate materials and genetics and whatever else, they could have seeded the whole galaxy before we were uh, in the Stone Age, Mm. potentially. Mm. So that means that the extremely high likelihood that the galaxy is full of life, but we can't imagine uh, the likes and the Fermi paradox kind of like still shines through. It's like, well, uh, do they destroy themselves mm. before they uh, they get too advanced? 
Are, are we the preserve, <laughs> right? It's also a possibility, it still exists. But if we see, if we look at evidence on earth about you know, stories of, it, of, of astronauts and people coming down and even mating and creating and then mating with the, with the children that they make, like you know, the women, uh, and these stories are everywhere, and you see uh, all sorts of evidence of advanced civilization in the in the distant past, at least presence of it alongside very primitive, primitive structures. Right? You gotta think that, man, maybe we are the preserve, <laughs> right? And they're just waiting for us, and that's the premise, the assumption that we make at the alliance. We say, well, let's assume this is the case. We've got to show that we're ready for that visitation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they've been leaving us generally alone for thousands of years. We got to show that we're ready, kind of like the Star Trek phenomenon. Like we got to show, like the we want the the, the John Luc Picard to beam down with his away team. Mm. <laughs> we need to show that we won't kill each other mm. when that happens. Yeah, those those two things they're such novel and just really good frames of thought you know the fermi paradox and the drake equation uh let me just throw in a spanner here and i want to let you i want i want to see uh, i want i want to hear what you think about it i saw um a, another talk um just along the lines of what of the subject matter um and this topic came upon at uh, this top this topic came up it's called um evolutionary um uh, what's it called um basically it says like we might not you know the the you know these these ideas like the fermi paradox and the drake equation these are all man-made thoughts these are all man-made constructs made built and you know um uh, originated from the human mind so in itself that actually sort of like uh that that limits this the whole thing so what if we weren't just really evolved for our own survival to make contact with ET? Because at the moment it works like the Fermi paradox and, and the Drake equation. These are all, you know, these are all scientific constructs to help us make sense of the scale of, of just how big and how broad the universe is as a whole and mm -hmm. life being in that universe and like the possibility of meeting life within that same space, which is the universe. But like, what if we, you know, what if these concepts are born of the human mind, which they are, and what if we've just evolved not to, to make contact? Because that leaves the question still of where is the smoking gun? Like, why haven't we actually, where is all the proof of, you know, I, I mean, you could argue like there's a lot out there and, you know, I myself personally, just you know, just by going through just pure logic, it's like it just doesn't make sense just to be all alone in this whole, on this whole in this whole thing. But if it is the case, then you know that sucks. You know, like what what um, I'm sure it's not Carl Sagan who said that like two things you you're two things may be correct. You, we could be either alone in the universe or we're not. Both are equally terrifying. And I, I think that I is think it's safe. Arthur C. Clarke. I think or something. Well, maybe yeah, it could be uh, Arthur C. Clarke. I'm yeah. Not sure. One of my favorite quotes. Uh, I, I I love that. Uh, you know, it's great. Yeah, it's like, well, either way, you could be right. They're both terrifying if we're alone and if we're we're not. You know, mm. but like, what if we're just not evolved to 
to make to make extraterrestrial contact because we'll just get destroyed or you know that's that might be just the end of us well i i think um the human experience is one of exploration ideas places and whatnot i mean there is a possibility that we are living in a holographic universe too right that we everything is basically a simulation we're in the matrix so to speak and nothing is actually real. Does that make a, a, a big difference? Probably not. We wouldn't, we wouldn't change our lives so much if we knew for a fact that it was all simulated somehow inside a machine. Uh, we get to live through our passions, right? And what we're interested in. Um, so like what you say could be true. You know, the, the, maybe we're deluding ourselves. Maybe all those stories from antiquity is somehow, even though they're, you know, we were apparently... Uh, you know, dividing all sorts of people all over the all over the globe, where we have the same stories. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's uh, the evidence that we have found because there is some. You know, uh, like some um, some ancient hieroglyphs and ancient paintings and caves show astronauts in spaceships, for example, things like that. And these are dated like thirty thousand years ago or whatever the the date the datation is. There, there's still a lot of questions about what's real and what's not. I think, you know, we're driven to explore and to try to figure it out, whatever that that is. And we can't just say, well, I'm not sure and therefore I won't explore. Mm. That's not part of our genome, really. It's like, we're not sure. We're going to chase those possibilities and try to figure it out, I think. So building the embassy... Is a, is a great exercise. The, the exercise of creating the, the first ET embassy is an exercise in humanity, in agreeing that we are bigger than our little squabbles, that we are ready to join something bigger. Whether that, that bigger thing exists or not is mm. not that important. It's, the more important part is to actually join together and decide, okay, we are ready, we agree that we want to be unified under this project. That's more important in many ways. Um, it would be amazing if we have a contact, right? And that the, the whole uh, prime directive uh, preserve uh, idea is accurate. That would be amazing. What if it's not? What if no, one's, no one comes? Uh, I think we're still going to progress and proceed and explore and trying to figure out our place in the universe mm. with ever more uh, sensitive telescopes and exploration of space and uh, and whatnot. Um, I think the exercise is more important than the objective mm. and the result itself. Mm. So that's how I see it. The evidence points to certain probabilities that are higher that we are not alone. <laughs> Uh, and that we have been visited for a, a number of years, for a long, long time, and that that seems to guide my activities, mm. right? But um, I can't say I'm 100% sure. I, I'm mm. a scientist. I can't say 100% sure. Mm. That would be irrational. Yeah. But I'm pretty damn sure. Yeah. If to, I'm not... To a degree, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just going back to the Drake equation, because a lot of people use that to like disprove or to shift the burden of proof of if aliens are real to the believers as opposed to the non-believers. 
the the flaw though that I I, I see them using the Drake equation was they the the number that you can plug into the Drake equation is infinite. Because at the end, like in, in that in that episode in, in in Cosmos, Carl Sagan basically, I think he came up with like two, mm-hmm. but then he put in like a finite number. I just I just forget the exact number. But if you double that number, then that number at the end becomes four. Yeah. And if you double that number again, it just goes up and up and up. So and and the universe, from what everything from what we've been experiencing and from what we know thus far, is it's just it's it's infinite. It's 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 infinite. So that 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 equation is just it's just that it's just you know it's an it's a it's a plug-in to crunch the numbers to come yeah. up with a final number at the end of how many plausible civilizations are out there that are advanced enough to make contact well, with each other. Last I read about the Drake equation, which is probably about two or three years ago, as I was writing another paper uh, about this very topic. Um, it's, it's a bunch of coefficients, right? So probabilities or multiplied yeah. by yeah. other probabilities. And as we know more about the universe, we can plug in more certain numbers. But then some of those numbers are still like, we don't know. Mm. Like uh, one of them, I believe, is the likelihood, the, the likelihood of a civilization that evolves and that reaches the uh, high technology and doesn't blow itself up. Like mm. we don't know. Yeah. We can put any number on that. It can be 1%, can be 99%. Like we don't know. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, so the in the article I was uh, I was reading, uh, it was made a lot of sense. Like you could calculate within reason uh, to have like like one or zero civilizations in the Milky Way to a few million. True. It just depends <laughs> on what the numbers you're putting in, which is a, you it know, depends what the assumptions infinite. you're making, mm. right? On those like some of the numbers we're sure because we explore the galaxy and we measure. So okay, we're sure about that one, that one, that one. Yeah. This one we have a range. This one we have no idea. Like it, it it's a way to to try to have a discussion more than uh, something definite, definite, mm. right? Yeah. Um. So, and I threw another spanner in the in the works by saying, well, you know, what what about civilization are able to create new civilization like that changes the number too mm. what is the probability of that like i don't know 100 50% like take your guess so it's great to have discussions with uh, using the drake equation but it's not a it's not a way to get a solution unless we are we, we're very certain about the, all these coefficients then we can use it on galaxy abc and say well there's there should be x amount there then we can mm. do an actual math and kind of, but right now it's all probabilities. It's mm. uh, it's very ineffective. Well, I think the Drake equation was right once, and that's we we are proof positive of that that there is one there is a civilization that is able to exist. Yeah. Um. You know, and if we're think if we survive the next part of that yeah. generation or so, right? Because we don't know if we will <laughs> just yet. Mm. Um. We will be able to, you know seed life you know on other planets like having another colony let's say on the moon or mars in case mm-hmm. something kind of cosmic happens um and uh it, it gives the to the possibility that we'd be able to as humans generally to seed the rest of the galaxy ourselves mm. uh, either by multiplication or by creation <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh we'd be able to ourselves and the presumption is like if things have evolved or been or being created here, then it can happen happen elsewhere in the infinite universe, whether on the in the, in the Milky Way or elsewhere. 
Mm. Uh, we're likely not alone. The only real questions the, the uh, scientists ask themselves is, would we actually be close enough to another to, to, to make contact? Mm. Real scientists, like, which is like most scientists, they don't argue that we're alone in the universe. No. <laughs> that, that's silly. They say, well, can we eventually meet somebody else that's not us within our lifetime? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Mm. Uh, because you need to fly at light speed to get anywhere at the minimum. And the closest star is 4.5 light years away. So it takes a while to get anywhere because the space is so vast. So if you have, yeah, you may have it. We may have a civilization four and a half light years away in Alpha Centauri. Uh, and they've received our radio signals, but they are too primitive to receive it mm. or too advanced to really understand that we're sending them something. Mm. <laughs> okay. Because they're using lasers and whatever else to, to, to it's just background information for them. Um, it's like we, we we don't know like but it's that's pretty far and if they're uh, they're only four light years away we've been sending radio signals for about 70 years so they would be in that sphere they would have received them maybe and uh, but the milky way is 100,000 light years in diameter maybe there's like a thousand civilizations but they're all at least 100 light years away mm. so and it's they, a question yeah it's a question of just scale really it's a question of scale, yeah. Then, if you're looking, let's say you receive a signal that's that's traveling at light uh, in light year speed, like radio, from another solar system that's obviously artificial, right? Uh, and you identify the source, which is 200 light years away. Well, you're actually receiving a message that was sent 200 200 years ago. Mm. That civilization has moved on. 200 years yeah since then so you know when you look at those those, those scales time becomes a fa an important factor it takes time for things to, to move uh, if we can prove because theoretically we can fold space and you know create warp engines to a certain degree to so that we can bypass the uh, speed of light significantly uh, if we can prove in reality that can happen then only moly. That <laughs> means others can as well, not mm. only us. Right? Mm. It's physically possible. Um, then the light, you know, the, the, the whole galaxy, the you know, universe becomes much, much smaller. Mm. Just like in our, our ancestors, when we had a horse or our feet to move around, and now we, we, we take planes to, to move around anywhere, uh, the planet became way smaller. But most people back then, they rarely left their own city very much because it was such a burden to travel anywhere. True. So in the galactic scale, if you can warp space, then we, we talk about the 100,000 light year diameter of the Milky Way, then we would say like, yeah, not a problem. <laughs> right now, yeah, it's huge. Like we can't do anything. No. Uh, well, um... From your from a personal standpoint, how far away do you think we are from actually getting even close to technology that would allow us to do such things? Um, there is apparently a working uh, not a working sorry some plans 
to do uh, to to build a war pension. These are all theoretical plans. Uh, we don't we can't reach the energy level yet to actually build this mm. to test it. But the engineers that build this this particular plan say, well, the energy level required may be available. Um, you know, in uh, I think within the next fifty years or so, you know, reasonably short <laughs> if you think about the, the scale of things. Um, so, and then we able to test it. I, I presume we'll test it first and see if we can full space. If we can full space, then you're talking about maybe uh, like ten years until we have uh, uh, something built where we can actually you know, send some some drones, whatever. And we have to ask, like. Normally, people would say, "Oh, it has to be like two generations in the future after that." But like with automation and AI now, like the timeframes are way shorter. Like we mm -hmm. have to think that way. Like once we can, we can generate enough energy. Time to um, uh, prototype is going to be way shorter mm -hmm. uh, in the future. So anyway, so we're not that far off. Um, and if our time frame and our presumption with the alliance is correct. We may be able to accelerate that timeline quite a bit if we get some help from some people that already figured it out. Mm. So, <laughs> right? you, but yeah, are these warp engines? Are they still reactive engines? Do they still still work off the third law, or is it the second law of pushing against? Um, I'm not familiar with all movement? the the science and engineering, but what I understand is that it has to generate some exotic particles, mm. and that's what. And it directs them to the um, the space the space time fabric that Einstein theorized like many years ago. That's kind of like, and it it folds it so that it has a different geometry. Uh, and then you're moving along what we know as space, mm -hmm. but because the space time is is folded in a certain way, um, even though you're moving at let's say I don't know ten thousand kilometers an hour. Right, in your spaceship, like you're physically moving that space uh, from the from an observer uh, outside of it, you may be moving like at, a, at 10 million kilometers per second. So it's just quicker the way you do it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. because of how space time works. Mm. Uh, normal space time, it's your what you're normally perceive. But if you fold in a certain way, it kind of like puts puts a puts a next next to your speed. But just for the for the observer that's on the outside, so you're pushing yourself forward at your normal speed when you're inside the ship, for example. But from the outside, you that's not inside that folded space. Uh, you, you're the ship is just gone, just like in Star Trek, like you know, it's kind of like disappears. That's a visual. Uh, you may have some visual artifacts or whatever. I, I don't know, but I don't, uh, uh, you you end up on the other end somewhere else. Uh, very quickly without breaking the um uh the the speed of light mm, mm, you can yeah. go like very slow sublight speeds uh but move through space much faster yeah mind-blowing <laughs> stuff that's just mind it's a bit stuff. of a mind twist but yeah yeah, that's the theory, and that's what's on paper right now. Mm, mm. Now, have you and the AEDC? Um, I'm assuming you have. It'd be interesting to see what you have to say. Have you um, entertained the notion that there might be an ET embassy that's already been built by some country out there that's just not made public? I mean, this. I mean, there are secrets all around. 
but our objective, and there are also other projects like individuals have been fascinated with this idea for, for years and years and years. People have land, they've built structures on them. They, these are all unofficial landing pads, embassies and other structures, right? Mm -hmm. They're not recognized by the international community. Now, are they are there embassies or other structures that were are built by nations, so official buildings that are in secret? Perhaps. Why not? Mm -hmm. they, were, they were secrets and therefore we may not know of them. But our project is for an official embassy. So advertise in public, open, mm. right? I think um, Thailand actually has one. Let me just share my screen here just to entertain you. Have you heard of Wat Demakaya? You can see this flying in from Don Muang Airport. You look down when you're just about to land. It looks like a huge cool. golden nipple. <laughs> yeah, that is very Thai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's I haven't been I've always been wanting to come. But but you know, this is such a big, you know, um, I think there was a huge issue with this, because it's been raided by the police, but that's for a different reason. Mm. But from what it looks like from above. Yeah, that's what it looks like just uh, from the ground. Uh, from the air, it looks like that's a flying saucer. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's an interesting looking one. Well, it's certainly, yeah, the shape is reminiscent. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's, it's really good. I'm yeah. happy to take a look at it. I don't know where that is. I, I, yeah, I, I, I look up some locals. Yeah, look up some locals and grab a picture of that. It's like a thousand Buddhas or something, maybe more. That's just like... Mm -hmm uh th that's uh installed in that golden dome so every pixel of that dome there is one buddha reflecting light from the sun oh. or some artificial source it's a yeah be interesting to see to 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 actually see this in person yeah i'd have to figure out where it is and then <laughs> visit that's amazing there's all sorts of signs that we were visited uh in religion speaking of the Buddha and mm -hmm. um, you know they all receive instructions from somewhere in the sky by some wise person. And that's Yahweh just such a theme. It's that's such a theme, isn't it? I mean, if you look at it from just you know purely objective, how can two people from two different parts of the world with no communication at the time say the same story? Yeah. How would you explain that? I mean, really, how would you explain that? Apart from the fact that it's probably because it's the same damn story. And it's the same group of people that visited these two different individuals from opposite sides of the world. Yeah, I think there's two circulated theories. One is just migration. You know, stories uh, are being yeah, carried yeah. because, you know, some people migrate. I don't see a lot of validity in that, in that because people really didn't move a whole lot <laughs> within the, the time frames. Another theory is, uh, is just a you know, human psychology or psyche mm -hmm. that, that circulates where um, we have like, because of how our brain works, we mm -hmm. have a tendency to invent God mm -hmm. or invent uh, philosophy or, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, the Greek gods, the Indian gods, like we invent um, uh, personas to explain the natural world because we don't understand them, especially in our, and they become personified because we are people and we give them, stories and things like that and that's more reasonable uh a theory uh, because we when we encounter the unexplained we uh we try to explain it in some way so magic and gods why not when we were primitive that's 
that's a good way to explain the unexplainable. Uh, where, where that theory falls flat to me uh, is, okay, that, that's great to personify, but mm. why do we have these personas, these same personas in the Pacific and uh, Aboriginal culture in India? With The names are different, but the, the personas are not. Yeah. They all have the same kind of stories with how, like the moon and the sky, and, and you know, like that starts to to, to to feel like you'd need both. Like you, you need to have that delusion concept, which makes sense, but combined with a migration, like why would there be so many so many uh, stories that are so similar? Mm. You expect the gods to be explained in different ways, and the stories to be very different. Trying to explain the stories. So to me, that indicates that, the, that there is, just like you said, that there is a common thread in the story, in the history, like a, a, a spoken story that came out of actual truth. Mm -hmm. Maybe the gods, and this is my theory, right? The gods were not gods. They were people that had a high technology and they had contact with all the peoples and all the different places, but they may have been called different names by the people that, that were visited. Mm. They're all considered gods. They had personas because they were people that came from elsewhere. Mm. Seeded life, interacted to a certain degree, and which engendered some of the stories that may be more local. Um, but the people are the people that were flying around and visiting were generally maybe the same. Mm. So you have the same stories that that pop out. So the the migration is not the primitives. The migration is the aliens. True. Yeah, that's they what travel happened. around. <laughs> yeah, they they did travel around, and it's it's it's. Us they're the able people. to do that very easily, and they yeah. so you have these seeds of the same stories in different places where they they didn't have any contacts. Mm -hmm. And then uh, yeah, uh, personification. You know, you have Thor, like the god of thunder. Thor may have existed as a person. And he was given that power because you know we can't understand lightning, and therefore that persona uh, is the one that did that. Why not? Right. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we, uh, at some point, I hope we will understand and know exactly what happened in our ancient history. <laughs> right now, we're just speculating in, into what's reasonable. Uh, maybe after first contact with an, an ET civilization, they'll they'll uh, you know prevent present us with a, uh, a bunch of YouTube videos. It's like, hey, here's you five thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is what actually happened. Yeah, and kind of just present us with all this materials. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's 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 like sitting down a toddler on your lap and like showing showing this toddler like baby pictures of what you look like four or five years ago. This was you just taking a shit in your pants and trying to learn <laughs> how not to do it. And um, oh, this was you just trying to learning how to walk. And look at that. You came up with this thing called a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how are you um personally how do you feel about all this personally like working in working with a with an organization like AEDC being exposed to all these people and you know um I quite like what you said about like this is an exercise in humanity how, yeah. how do you feel about that personally well way way back when I was young yeah, this is going to be a little personal, but you know, I, I tell this often. go for it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to heal the world. Like I was five and already 
you know, I had this, like, I want to be, I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be, become a doctor and all these professions because I wanted to, to make humanity better, to heal it in some way. I had this feeling of, throughout my life that I had to do something to help humanity in some way. And it's guided me into a lot of decisions and professions and things like that. Um, so to me, this whole concept of the Alliance meeting ETs, uh, to me, that's all about humanity. It's about, about us evolving, our way of thinking, our presence in the universe, getting more understanding in science and so on. Um, and becoming wiser and more understanding with each other, understanding differences a lot more. You know, if you think about how we've been troubled by differences between each other, mm. languages, skin color, and whatever, and how we were really rotten with each other just based on these differences. Differences. Imagine when an adhesive appears, and they within their own civilization has probably a lot of differences. They arrive here, they may look like friggin' you know, arachnids to us. Who knows, right? How are, we going, how are we going to react to that if we're unable to appreciate each other's skin color or eye shape, you know, <laughs> stuff like that? So so to me, it's really, that's why I say it's an exercise in humanity. It's like, I, I really sincerely do want to meet our brothers and sisters from the sky. I think that's an amazing moment in history. And I do believe my assumptions are correct. And that will happen. But for that to happen, interestingly, is that we have to become a better civilization ourselves. Mm. So it satisfies both my scientific curiosity about knowing of our past and our future and new texts and understanding of the universe and all that stuff. But also us becoming mature as a civilization and becoming mm. able to not squabble about the visitation, about technology and about, about, about each other. Right. And understanding that the universe is vast and fascinating and everything's different and looking at our own little problems and differences here as extremely small and insignificant, really, in reflection. So I'm hoping to give that in a way to the whole humanity. Mm. Yeah, it's like if you want a group of people to bond together, you give them a common enemy might be a or in lack of a better term. Because there's that off yeah. chance that they might not be friendly. Have you entertained that as well? Have you, I'm, I'm sure you've you, you've also talked amongst each other. What if they're not friendly? What if they just don't? What if they just have Inside. a look at this? Yeah, this nice porcelain-looking structure and just like bzz, <laughs> one, one 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 zap. <laughs> well, I actually published uh, an article about this very topic, mm -hmm. uh, 2019, I think, and uh, it was a serious uh, thought about about that, like. What are the what is the likelihood of an ET civilization coming here and being aggressive? That was the the question. What's the likelihood of that? And I'll, I'll spare you the dissertation. <laughs> I'm going to get to the end. In the end, uh, the only uh, the only way an ET civilization would come here and being aggressive would be if they had um, uh, if they would be unreasonable. So it, uh, <laughs> so in essence, for religious reasons, in essence. Like if it, on some level they disagreed with the concept of another civilization mm. being here for whatever reason, because there's no rational reason why they would. Um, I'll give you a little bit more so that at least the audience would have uh, some information on, on the thought process. Sure. I, I always come back to us. Okay. Let's imagine us hundred years from now, we are 
traipsing in the in, at least in the solar system, extracting valuable materials from all the planets and the asteroids. Uh, everything is abundant. We have no material need whatsoever for water or anything. You can get extra water for Ganymede. From <laughs> you know, the, the the solar system is chock full of resources. We don't we don't have a problem with resources anymore. We're able to create AI that's able to replace us in any task whatsoever, to do any job whatsoever, dirty or not. We don't have any problems about productivity and management of resources whatsoever. We can even make biological beings through the, the fancy genetic engineering to do, do whatever we want with it, okay? That's us in 100 years from now. We're able to do all that. Uh, so our struggles surrounding material is gone. Surrounding us, uh, labor is gone, right? We're able to technologically uh, do all that stuff and have no limitations because we're not bound to Earth either. Okay, so transport that to a civilization that's able to cross the stars, right? To actually, you know, bother us in some way. They have to cross the solar systems to another one, maybe warp speed, right? <laughs> Um, they've already, they're able to gather any resources from anywhere. They already have the robots, the AI, all that stuff. They're not coming here for our resources. They're not coming here to, uh, to make us labor and slaves. Uh, why would they, like planet earth is not, we discovered over the last few years of, uh, studying exoplanets, earth is not remarkable. Mm. Uh, it's nice for us. We like it. You know, it's spaceship, spaceship, spaceship Earth, like Carl Sagan used to say. Mm -hmm. But it's um, it's geologically and astrologically unremarkable. There's a bunch, about 25% of the exoplanets we've studied have water. Okay. Uh, and they're all composed with the same material as we have on Earth. So an ET sieve comes here. Like for resources, they can get resources anywhere. They, they don't need us at all. So they would come here because of us. And why would they come here just to pick a fight? They're way more advanced than us. Like it's not a fair fight even. Mm. So if we do have an encounter, either it's an, on the negative, they object to us on a philosophical level for some reason. It's possible. That was the, 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 uh, the conclusion of my article. On the more likely scenarios that they want to deal with us for some reason. They want to know us. They want to interact with us. They're more advanced than us. So they don't need our tech. There's, mm. The only reason would be to get to know us, to have an interaction. And because the, the need is, they have no need of, of connecting, connecting with us. It's more of a want, a curiosity for them. They'll come when... They feel like it's going to be fine and it's going to be fun. They don't need anything from us whatsoever. <laughs> the whole galaxy is the rooster. So when we do have contact, the highest likelihood is that they come to meet with us, to shake hands, to say hi, and to give something to us. Mm. That's the conclusion of it. Mm. Sounds like a, yeah, it sounds like a really nice, um, way of looking at things um i'm just trying to i'm just trying to see i'm just gonna I'm, I'm trying to define the word to describe it it sounds a little bit anthropomorphized as if like a, a person i mean these ets would you know 
have some sort of uh, similarity similarity in how humans see the world. You know, it's it's just like you know, it's just like first world countries trying to visit you know, developing worlds, uh, developing nations, and you know they come in there and we just want to be friends really because we don't really. <laughs> You don't really need anything here. I mean, the coconuts are great and all that, but you know, they give you diarrhea if you have too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, look, we got these Marler blankets to keep you warm. Um, we've got these, yeah, the, the these um, this medical supplies just to keep you guys healthy. So yeah, here it is. Um, um, do you think there there might be another reason why they would want to to be in contact with us apart from the reasons you stated earlier? To make well, friends and there's the shake hands friendly like i be part of the party kind of that kind of discussion but there is another one which i actually adhere to is that what if the ets that want, that want most to meet with us are the ones that created us in the first place oh yeah that's another rabbit we're considered hole, like yeah. like children that we were left alone to mature mm. right and then there would be an emotional attachment of some form right Hmm. Um, and I think that makes sense for at least for me. I, I'm speaking about myself, not the alliance, because people people in the alliance have very different uh, views of this. And some are similar to uh, to mine. Some are, are very different. But I can just put myself into into their shoes and also looking at our history. Right? We had these great religions that got started by usually a single guy or or woman. I got contacted by somebody from the sky with usually this very same message of love and compassion and unicity. Typically, like all of those prophets receive basically the same message in different areas by somebody from the sky that is kind of like a god or able to do magic things. I'm thinking that those that's our creator civilization kind of trying to guide us without directly direct impact or direct interaction. Interact with one person, that person goes out and spreads a message or some activities to influence. Uh, and then you got the paintings in the uh, in, in the cave, some of those uh, evidences. More recently, there's some crop circles that have been recorded uh, being done overnight with no people involved, like little lights and things like that. There's some pieces that are of uh, evidence of ET interaction, if you would uh with within our space and there's all these stories we talked about earlier about you know gods and goddesses that are similar that we were with them and kind of interacting to a certain to a certain degree there's some of these ancient stories of creation uh like i love some of the more the less usual ones like for example there's one in uh in japan uh part of their history is that there is a a goddess called amaterasu mm -hmm. there's a goddess that has green skin Right, and she created the island of Japan. <clears throat> yeah, and its people. Yeah, by dipping her sword or something, and the droplets became Japan. Is that the right, same? Yeah. exactly. That's the whole like concept of that. And what's really interesting is I see this here even in Thailand. Uh, the um, uh, at least in Thailand, Thai Buddhism is tied also with the Hinduism hmm. in a certain way. The the same gods like Indra. Is the creator god that interacted with Buddha here and taught Buddha everything he needed to know. Okay. And Indra has also green skin. Mm. Osiris, the god uh, in, uh, in Egypt, 
Osiris brings people to, to the afterlife. The only God that has green skin. There's always like in these pantheons, except for the Greek pantheon, uh, that's probably an exception. Um, they all have one person that have a green skin. Hmm. Everybody else's looks much more human. To me, that tells me it's like, what about these aliens have different races and one just happens to have a darker skin that maybe looks green and that these stories were, were told. You got the, and then you have like the uh, the pyramids and these structures that were like kind of not doesn't make any sense that they were built back in those, those days using uh, the available technologies. So suffice to say, like I know I'm I'm stretching this. I I think there's significant evidence that there's, we've been interacted with for thousands of years by people that could very well could have created us because they had the, they have the scientific knowledge just like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they've been kind of toying with us or like inserting pretty good messages throughout the years through the prophets and different people. So they are benevolent and they care enough to actually do that. Like, why would they? Like, because, you know, it's scientific curiosity, maybe, but maybe we are kind of like the children to them and they want us to survive mm. and, you know, evolve and mature on our own, in our own way. That makes sense to me. Is that the absolute truth? We'll know maybe at some point, <laughs> but it, it's comforting and makes sense to me. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, it's also like there's some proof of um, of a heightened activity of UAP or alien activity around nuclear sites. I've read a book um, with, with, with it was a really short one too about you know uh, focusing on uap phenomenon just in the just in the um uh the soviet union mm-hmm. where even the soldiers who have been guarding their their um their silos there it's a pretty common occurrence apparently for the some interference well. yeah for some interference to happen you know around these sites you know and knowing what these sites contain could be just you know the whole the, the destruction of civilization of humanity um, I, I think it's I kind of comforting. Right. There was these instances where disaster was averted mm. by what seems to be outside interference, uh, like the silos in the states as well. It was like a, there was a launch that was not planned, and then like everything got shut off, and there were lights in the sky at the time. Like, what does that mean? You know. Uh, I also have to think about all the near Earth objects that are circling around the Earth, and mm. the possibility of an asteroid. You know. Are, are, are some of them being diverted? Mm. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have any evidence. But if there is, like, an over, uh, somebody watching, mm. right, and giving us a chance to mature, uh, I'm pretty sure they're not licking, uh, they, they won't let a stupid asteroid or a mistake with nukes <laughs> get away and destroy the whole thing. Mm. They've mm. been kind of waiting on us for a thousand years or <laughs> a thousand years. Like, that would be kind of stupid. Yeah. Is that's that a good that's it's a good point that, yeah. like stupidity kind of like destroy the whole the whole thing yeah the whole experiment yeah all these years mm. let's let let's live them let, let's let them live for a little bit longer just so you know when we get all these data sheets in then yeah they could probably <laughs> just nuke each other and we'll call that yeah wouldn't it be like 
I, I think it would have been kind of, kind of a funny story, like in a comic book, where you have, well, actually, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Mm. Kind mm. of tells that story where, <laughs> where, you know, just before you get the answer to everything, because, uh, uh, spoiler alert, like the planet Earth is the experiment. And, it, uh, and just before the answer to life, the universe and everything gets discovered, by the evolution of Earth, mm. it uh, gets blown up to make make way to for a high uh, to, yeah. to an interstellar highway. The answer is forty two, right? <laughs> huh? Isn't the answer forty two or something? Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> but then you know, they're trying to figure out the question. Is yeah, the, uh, you're, you're right. They're trying to find the question. They're find, the trying to find the question. So it's the whole it exercise. Yeah, but, really but is, yeah, like that analogy. It's it's funny, but then mm. you know. Uh, uh, of course, if we are observed, they, they don't allow these things that are outside of our control to happen that would decimate us because uh, they want us to grow up and give us a, give us a chance. I don't think they'll intervene if we intentionally press the big red buttons mm -hmm. uh, to try to blow each other up. I, I, my presumption is that they wouldn't interfere that. They would let let us blow, blow each other oh, up yeah. if we intend on doing that. It's like part of the, um, part of the whole exercise was like, are they going to do it? You think they're going to do it? Oh, well, they, apparently yeah. they did. Too bad. Well, imagine us. Like, we are running experiments because we're able to create. We see live, we interact with them. It creates these stories. But we probably wouldn't do it on only one planet. Because what if it blows up? They blow each other up at some point. Uh, no, you, you see like five okay. yeah. different places. Mm -hmm. If that one blows up by their own intent, well, that's it's a note in the experiment the books. Yep. Like, but yeah, you got four others. <laughs> so maybe they'll mature enough and not blow each other up mm. eventually. And then they join the big party. I think that's reasonable. If you're able to do it once, why not do it do it a thousand times if you really wanted to and, and see what comes out of it? Mm. Uh, so especially since like thinking about AI and robotics, mm. you can probably automate the creation process to a, to a large degree. On different planets if you're advanced enough mm. and just see what happens and then just have a drink of wine and just party yourself and you know and then like in 2000 year we'll see how they're doing mm. you know like <laughs> i don't know uh, yeah we could just be that that ant farm that's been forgotten in the top shelf gathering dust really <laughs> it's kind of depressing to think about that like oh man yeah well yeah. for us the ant farm is really important because we're living it <laughs> Mm. We're living in it, yeah. Uh, but for at a different, you know, think about a different scale where you, the the galaxy is is your playground, mm. and you can create and delete life basically on a whim. You don't see things as the same way, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Okay. Right. Just before we wrap things up, that's that's two hours. There didn't really <laughs> didn't really realize that we were talking for two hours already. Right. Um, so you mentioned a few things. You mentioned the Hitchhiker's Galaxy. Uh, we mentioned Prometheus and whatnot. Um, what are your top three first contact movies? And can you tell us like why do you like it? Because um, is it is it because it's most science? Oh, let's let's just let's add a variable there. What are your top three most accurate um, first contact movies in your in your opinion? Well, my top first in this in that category. Uh, is a uh, contact. Okay. Um, I, I don't have another one that actually fits that 
that spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the number one. I, 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 like I said, I like the arrival, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's it, it's it doesn't portray a lot, a lot of things accurately from mm-hmm. the alien's perspective. But the contact does, except for exactly what we were talking about, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you remember the movie, because that, that was a while back, mm-hmm. the uh, the ETs are just like sending a plan, letting us figure it out and fighting with each other and kind of like being dramatic with each, each other. And, it, and eventually there's a revelation, mm-hmm. right, about who we are in the universe and who they are. And it's kind of and it's I, I think that's kind of a beautiful um it's kind of like building the embassy in a way they're building this this platform thing right and the whole world has to participate mm. and it gets through all this political discussion this social discussion and the religious zealots are kind of frustrated but they have a conversation right like there's a whole planetary conversation mm. about uh, about the possibilities what is it what, what would they look like what's what's happening on the other side um so i i think it's pretty close probably the closest movie um oh that actually there's a there's another one um crud i can't remember the but it's on mars um it's on mars yeah uh, is it with the um is it pretty brutal yeah kind of well there's no i mean it's exploration there's no violence but in the end there's a uh uh explanation like they, they go into the face of, on mars like some astronauts they end up there. i just can't remember the name okay and um, they discover like there's a holograph and they that, that explained that it was a civilization on mars mm-hmm. and they had mastery of genetic engineering and uh, they oh, went to another planet on What's earth yeah uh and seeded life there mm-hmm. and i thought that was since of my belief and my my hypothesis uh i really love that movie because it's Kind of, it's kind of telling the story of of us in some right. way. So in there's like way. Mission to Mars. There's that. Yeah, that's right. Mission is to that Mars. the one? Yeah, Mission to. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. this. I, I should. Yeah, it's 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 a great take uh, mm. on uh, origins and where we come from and the oh, benevolent. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I sort of remember it. It's just been a while since I've seen it. Gary Sinise. Yeah, that's the one. Tim Robbins. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't think of a third, but those two uh, I would definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. And if I can re- recommend a third one that is not about ETs, but about our own future, the movie Her. It's oh, yeah. Her. I just saw that the other night. <laughs> no, okay. So, well, that's surprising. But yeah, that movie is so true. the future of humanity. There's no yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw it again. I, I mean, well, I saw it. AI I, and mm, our partnership with AI, our future partnartnership with AI. Is true, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. I'll try to get you on another episode if you're free, because that's a whole other episode, the whole AI thing. I had. I um, I'm a futurist. I do speak a lot about AI. Yes, I, I did have um, Blake Lemoyne on the podcast a few months ago, the Google engineer who got sacked. Oh, geez. For, okay. for, um, for, um, he didn't really the AI was sentient. yeah lambda he was talking about lambda and he was yeah. telling me the day in the the day in his in, in the office for when that happened for him it's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing stuff yeah. yeah i think he's doing well for himself now i'm just i'm not sure what he's doing at the moment but um yeah he won't be working for google anytime so they said they just sent me an email like um you violated google's policies and um you're fired basically 
Yeah, it's pretty brutal. <clears throat> yeah, but pretty interesting how he how he um narrated like how he how he um he made the assumption that yep, this AI seems to uh portray a conscience that is not of a computer. Cuz he says yeah. like Turing tests like, you know, people AIs pass Turing tests all the time. Like it's not such a I mean they throw that word all the time like the Turing test. The captcha and all yeah. that it, people the, pass the, it all the, the time tests, i even heard some uh, some scientists talk about this some ai experts talking about this recently uh, and i agree with them the the turing test has been uh passed many mm. years ago yeah yeah true uh what we've been doing is that we've changed the turing test because mm. we're not satisfied with it anymore because now we want it we want ai to achieve more to mm. qualify it as uh, as being self-aware and things like that um, but yeah, that's a whole discussion. It's and it's it's a very gray area. We'll mm. leave that to a future discussion. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, um, District Nine. Have you seen District Nine? I think that's yes. a pretty good. That's a that's a it's sort of accurate, but at the same time, it's a very down to earth, pun intended, um, it's, it's, sort it's of outlook. To to make uh, us think, not the movie is not about the aliens. Mm, it's more of us it's like how how we would treat yeah and and it's it's interesting how like we've corralled these aliens and it's one of the first films that wasn't actually where the aliens actually didn't decide to make first contact in the u.s (laughs) because for some reason it's always in the u.s where these aliens like make contact with like yeah yeah yeah, it was it's how it was um how how it's set in south africa um that's pretty interesting that's a good one too yeah but it's it's a good movie as a to to watch mm. uh to watch humanity because it's really about uh, our behaviors and True. it's not about aliens prometheus uh, well prometheus yeah that's precursor to aliens yeah yeah so uh but there is interesting little bits in there that are make it interesting it's a mm. nice action flick huh? mm. <laughs> that's a good one too hey yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Um, I'd I'd love to to pick your brain some more, but that's all that that's our t- that's all the time we have for today. I've taken too much of your time already. <laughs> and um, thank you so much. Before I let you go, um, for the ones who are listening, where can we find you? you if you have any work personally, and where can we find you know uh, the organization that you are currently connected with? Though I know okay. you're you're connected. Well, with, I, I'm with easy you. to reach to reach out to on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. Sylvain Rachon. You can find uh, find me there. Uh, the Alliance is very simple. Three. Uh, so the address is Alliance for the number four, et.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, go on there, and if you use a contact form there, typically I'm going to see it. Uh, I'm going to see the message myself as well. So, uh, so that's a good, a good way to get in contact with me uh, for this particular topic. Okay, awesome. So, if you guys want to learn more about this work, this body of work that's out there, that seems to be actually, if you ask me, it's 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 sort of practical that we definitely should look into having some sort of, you know, even just a, a structure, uh, you know, for for ET or aliens to to look to, you know to to just dock into or something i think it's a pretty practical way of looking at things why shouldn't we have one you know it shouldn't take it, it shouldn't be a really a, a big a big building i'm not imagining but yeah um do look at alliance for et.org and look up etembassy.org as well i think that's another one you can look into it 
um, some exciting stuff coming out there. And if you are interested in this type of topic, feel free to reach Sylvain Rochon on LinkedIn. Uh, I will put in uh, all these details on the show notes. Thank you again for having us. Sylvain, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Good luck in the land of smiles. Yeah, thank you.